0: hindsight is 2020, right? I think we all can relate to that, whether it's work-related decisions or in our relationships, both platonic and romantic. If I could start all over again, what choices would I make knowing what I know now? Unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. But you have me and these conversations to give you some insight as to some of the things you should absolutely be doing as a yoga teacher. Suggestions that will help you set a foundation for longevity, reduce the chances of burnout, and keep you excited about your teaching career and all the iterations of it. I'm excited to share these recommendations with you because these are the things that I would absolutely be doing from the start if I could start all over again. Welcome to the Essential Conversations for Yoga Teachers podcast with me. I'm Monica Bright and I've been teaching yoga and running my yoga business for over a decade. This is the podcast for you if you're a yoga teacher, you're looking for support, you love to be in conversation, and you're a lifelong student. In this podcast, I'll share with you my life as a yoga teacher, the lessons I've learned, you know, all the stuff that wasn't taught in teacher training, my process for building my business, and helpful ideas tools, strategies, and systems I use and you can use so that your business thrives. We'll cover a diverse range of topics that will help you whether you're just starting out or you've got years under your belt and you want to dive deep and set yourself up for success. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, I don't take myself too seriously, so expect to hear some laughs along the way. Now, Let's do this together. Well, before we get into it, let me take you back a few years in my own career. Now, by design, I was teaching at several yoga studios around the city of Chicago, and this I loved because it meant I could meet students from all over the city My classes were bustling, many of them full to capacity, and the ones that had smaller attendance, I developed really close relationships with students. But that's where the relationship ended. From time to time, I'd have students who were moving either to a new neighborhood further away from the studio or to another city altogether. I even had a student who moved to Africa. Like, how cool is that? And they'd ask me, how do we keep in touch? Or, I love your classes and want to keep practicing with you. How would I do that? It was in these moments that I began to think about how I could diversify my teaching. How could I still reach students who didn't or couldn't come to the physical yoga studio? How could I change up the model that was my teaching schedule? And all of this thought went into the advice that I'm about to share with you. So if you're a little distracted right now, pause and come back to me because here's where we get into the meat of the episode. First, regarding social media, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and even Facebook. So I'm not going to rate which one is better than the other. I think the key here is to find and use the platform where your audience is. For example, if you work with elderly students or clients, they're probably not hanging out on TikTok. At best, they may have a Facebook page because one of their children probably set it up for them so they could keep in touch with people. (laughs) But you can use social media strategically, and that's exactly what I would have done from the start. If you want to know which one specifically, it would be YouTube. Why? Well, think about how you use YouTube. Here's some scenarios. One, if you need to change the taillight on your car and you want to watch a quick video on exactly how to do it, you go to YouTube. Two. When you can't reach chat support, but you need the answer to a software problem, you go to YouTube. Three, if you want to take an exercise class online, YouTube. And four, if you want to learn how to cook something, you probably go to YouTube. I mean, the list goes on and on, and I've used YouTube for every one of these scenarios. What do you notice about all of the examples I gave? You're typing in what you want to find. So YouTube is like Google. It's a search engine. And because it's a search engine, people don't have to know who you are. If you're solving a problem they have or giving instructions or teaching them something, they'll look at you as a valuable resource and hopefully subscribe to your channel. The more you can help people solve their problems and get found for doing so, the wider your reach will get. TikTok is also search engine optimized. So you can search for exactly what you're looking for or go through your For You page or your following page as well. Now, Facebook and Instagram are viable options as well, but they are generally algorithm-based, meaning you have to rely on the algorithm to put you in people's feeds even people who already follow you. So why not get a little more control over that and utilize a platform where you post content to help people find answers to their problems. Be strategic about who you serve and how to best help them and let that drive the content that you create. I do enjoy the engagement that can be created on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, especially in stories and private messages. These are where people open up a bit more and you can have real conversations that are private. It's here in these conversations where relationships grow. Second, an email list. First, I think we all know about how social media algorithms do not really work in our favor. You could be someone with thousands of followers, but your content, which really only lives for a good 24 hours, doesn't get seen by most of the people you're connected with. There have been times when I've thought to myself, I haven't seen Lisa's post in a while and I wonder what she's up to. And then I go to her page and yep, she's been posting all along. So I say all of that to get to this point. I would 100% hands down work to get people from social media onto my email list. Why? So they can actually receive the info that I want to share. These are people who have shown an interest in more of a connection with me by signing up for my email list in the first place. Second. Say you're teaching a special class like yoga in the park or at the conservatory or at the beach. How do you plan to keep in touch with the people who show up to those classes? Email, of course. (laughs) Third, you want to talk about an issue or a topic that's inappropriate for a regular class. For example, you'd like to dive deeper into how injuries affect the practice. That's hard to do at the start of a class. Or say you want to have a deeper instruction on breathing techniques and the importance of having a pranayama practice. That may take up too much time in class as well. But in your newsletter, you can talk about these things and so much more. I say all of this to say that I would be very intentional about connecting with students and nurturing that connection outside of class. Number three. I would be strategic about trainings. No maybes. Okay, I've taken my fair share of trainings. Some were superb and right up my alley. And some I took not really knowing what I wanted to do with the information. Now, I do believe knowledge is power and I am a bibliophile. I mean, the number of books I have around my house might be considered insane, but I love them and cannot imagine my life without books and ongoing learning and training. But what I do know is that sometimes we use the excuse that we don't know enough in order to teach what we want, and thus we need to train more. Side note, have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? I posted on my Instagram not too long ago about this phenomenon, in short, It is a cognitive bias where individuals with low ability in a particular domain tend to overestimate their skills, while those with higher abilities may underestimate themselves. In other words, it's when you think you know more than you actually do, and the more you learn, the more cognizant you are about what you don't know. So are you finding yourself doubting what you know? And because of that, you find yourself in endless trainings? That's just something for you to think about. I do realize that when you start your teaching career, you may not know what you want to focus on or train extensively on, but there will come a time where you know what really lights you up. Oh, And that can change over time, too. It doesn't have to be set in stone. But be really intentional about the trainings you take. Ask yourself, why am I taking this training? What do I hope to learn from it? How will I infuse what I learn into my classes? And will this training require me to take more? I say this to say, have a plan. I can remember finishing up one training and saying to someone, I want to take this one next. And they responded, well, when are you going to have time to integrate what you've learned just now? It made me think. Number four, days off. I know, I know, I know. It's challenging to get the perfect schedule, especially when you begin teaching or you add more studios and classes to your schedule. But hear me out on this. You will burn out if you don't have time to recuperate. And it may not be in the sense of I'm tired or I'm sick because your body has decided to shut down for you. I think we've all been there. Think about it this way. Your mind never has a chance to turn off from classes, sequences, music, and all the stuff that goes into teaching a chance to turn off and relax, spend time with family, with yourself, your pets, your self-care. I mean, whatever it is, you need time to enjoy those parts of life too. If you can get two days off in a row, that's really ideal. One day to give you the chance to completely turn off and the second day you can work on planning for upcoming classes. I know finding the right schedule, adding and letting go of classes is challenging. But if you want longevity in your teaching career, then this needs to be important to you. Number five, rest. Okay, so we talked about having days off. Now, what are you going to do with that free time? Nourish yourself. That's right. I'm going to share an extreme scenario just to help you get the point here. Have you ever decided that's it? I'm taking a break, going on vacation, no matter the cost. I just need to get away from it all, do the things I enjoy doing, whether that's sitting on the beach and doing nothing at all, or planned excursions to connect with nature, communities, history, or your destination. These getaways force us to live and enjoy life outside of work. And life is more than all work and no play. You need these days off to accomplish the same thing throughout your week. Without taking an extended amount of time off, you're still able to disconnect so that when you come back to teaching, you're refreshed and ready to go. As a student, I wouldn't want my yoga teacher to be stressed and tired, and overwhelmed, and burning the rope at both ends. Teaching is hard enough energetically because of the nature of it. What we need to do as teachers is show up as our best selves, and that's difficult if you're working seven days a week. Number six, diversify my teaching. Pretty early on, I realized that teaching class after class after class was not going to cut it for me. I was basically trading my time for money, and in order to increase my pay, I would have to trade in more time. Also, I was bored with only teaching classes. I was training a lot and needed some containers to share what I was learning in training. I think that's one of the caveats of training. You get so much smarter, but then what do you do with that knowledge? You can't really integrate it into your regular classes because there is an expectation already in place as far as the studio classes regarding how long you should or shouldn't be talking or theming before classes begin and whatever format you're teaching. Sometimes there are pretty strict rules as far as what you need to teach and what you can't teach. A natural next step for me was workshops. In workshops, I could decide the topic and the agenda. Plus, we had time to stop and ask and answer questions for understanding and clarification. Whether it's a backbending workshop or a chakra workshop or a self-massage workshop, you can teach more information, help students understand concepts on a deeper level, and diversify your income. I could make a week's worth of classes in one workshop. Then I started facilitating teacher trainings, further expanding my teaching, sharing my knowledge and diversifying my income even more. Then retreats, then online offerings, then continuing education for teachers. I mean, the list goes on and there becomes this beautiful mix of all the offerings I have that keep me interested, keep students and teachers wanting more, and my knowledge just keeps expanding more and more. So ask yourself, is your teaching repertoire diversified? Think about what you want to offer, what your students are asking you for, and how you can add a bit of variance to your schedule and income. Now, here are some key takeaways or questions that I want you to take away from this episode. Three years from now, where do you want to be? What do you want to be offering? I would encourage you to take some time to think about what your career looks like. What do you enjoy doing and what can you let go of because it doesn't bring you much joy? Now, work backwards and begin to create the teaching career that you want. I hope this episode has been helpful and you've learned a thing or two about being very intentional about crafting the life you want. Remember, you get to choose. There's no one way or right way. There's your way. All right. If you love this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss out on the next one and share it with a teacher friend who you think would benefit from these conversations as well. Bye-bye for now.